Hey, kids, where you want to go? I don't know. That's right, to Uncle Nutsy's clubhouse. And boy, oh boy, are we going to have big fun today. We're going to have so much fun, we'll forget about how miserable we are and how much life sucks and how we're all going to grow old and die someday. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. Thank you to Chumzilla for that wonderful intro. We are going to change the format a little bit today, and Chumzilla is going to host as he chose this movie. And if you didn't recognize that intro, that is from UHF, the 1989 Weird Al Yankovic movie. It is truly an original. Uh, before we start the pod, a couple of uh, house cleaning items. You can find the pod on social at Hops and Bo Flops on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find myself at writer tlk and it is just i and chumzilla today to discuss this wonderful piece of late 80s nostalgia so chumzilla go ahead and introduce yourself well first off i'd like to thank you mr wizard for giving me the honor and the privilege of hosting this week's pod so welcome loyal listeners tonight on hops and box office flops we all get to drink from the fire hose for the pod's 48th episode we're covering 1989's uhf This oddball comedy was meant to be the star vehicle that would launch Weird Al's movie career and be a summer blockbuster for the studio. (laughs) Narrator, it was neither. UHF made just $6.1 million on a budget of $5 million. The studio, Orion, took a big hit since studios typically see just about 50% of the actual box office totals. So by December of 1991, Orion was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, despite recent successes like Dances with Wolves and The Silence of the Lambs. Those movies were not enough to make up for years of losses. So there was a lot riding on this movie. I mean, this was going to be what helped Weird Al jump from music videos and his like novelty music fame into like an acting comedy career. Orion thought this was going to be a big hit and they went for the summer release and none of that panned out. Uh, And the reason Orion thought this was going to be such a big hit was that they had some of the best test screenings for this movie since RoboCop. So they gave it that July release date right in the middle of summer blockbuster season, but too bad for them that the summer of 89 had a murderer's row of tentpole films mostly sequels, uh, for this uh, UHF to compete against. So get this. Th- this, is, this is just an absolute killer lineup for summer movies. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lethal Weapon 2, and Batman 89. So, yeah. Not a lot of people saw this movie because they were too busy seeing everything else. Yeah, where's the money for UHF when you got those movies? And yeah, and to be fair, I like this movie. I think it's funny, but it doesn't really compare favorably to most of those movies. No, it's uh, 
No, I mean, you could argue that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, maybe, I don't know, the visual effects in that movie were great at the time. Um, and Ghostbusters 2 was not as good as Ghostbusters 1, but is it better than UHF? Uh, once it was released, it received mixed reviews, and most critics felt that Weird Al's performance was underwhelming, and they really felt that the movie's like sketch comedy format did not translate well to a feature film. So, yeah, it just it kind of died on the vine. You know, it, it withered on the vine. Anyway, so the movie was directed by Jay Levy, who was Weird Al's longtime manager and the producer slash director of most of his music videos. And the movie was written by both Levy and Weird Al. And for the cast, we have it, of course, starring Weird Al Yankovic as George Newman. David, don't call me Major Tom uh, Bo, as Bob Steckler, his best friend. Michael, Kramer with a hard R Richards as a moth enthusiast. Stanley Spadowski. Fran, people forget that I was in Spinal Tap Dresher as Pamela Finkelstein. Victoria Jackson as Terry Campbell. Weird Al's love interest. Kevin McCarthy is R.J. Fletcher, the key antagonist. Getty, the donger Wantanabe, is Cooney. John, Mechalekahigh Mechahiney Ho, Paragon, is R.J. Fletcher Jr. And last but not least, Vance, Bozo the Clown Kolvig, as the bum. Uh, let's not forget a uh, pod favorite, Billy Barty, uh, makes an appearance in UHF. As uh, the cameraman for Channel 62. I don't even know if he has a name, but... Uh, it's Macintosh. He's always shooting at upward angles, obviously. He's the cameraman. Yes, yes, yeah. I believe his last name is Macintosh. And he does get his just uh, uh, rewards in the end when he, he pays back the bad guys with a nice trip into a mud puddle. This movie does have yeah, so. a big payoff for the uh, sort of asshole Channel 8 people. They all get their just desserts in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. So just to stick with the format here, and it's obviously we're lacking without Captain Cash, um, but we'll jump right to the one sentence descriptions. So I'll start with mine. An aimless young man finds success and purpose in life by creating tasteless and shamelessly commercial entertainment content that appeals to the darkest desires of modern society. Mr. Wizard. What's yours? Uh, yeah. UHF, if I were to describe it, is essentially just, hey, guess what television's going to be in 25 years? This is it. It's like all the dumbest shows you can imagine, and people love them. There's like a very Jerry Springer-esque knockoff. I don't even... Was Jerry Springer on the air in 1989? I think oh, he, oh, I, I think um, he hold on, hold on. Um, let, let me help you out here because I'm slightly older than you. That was a Geraldo uh, uh, Riviera reference. Okay. The so, chair to the face with the broken nose. Geraldo had his nose broken in one of those segments. Yeah. So it's a little bit. It's a little bit of all of it. It's a little Jerry Springer. It's a little. Um, oh, why can't I think? What's the guy with the white hair? Um, Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue and mostly uh, Ronaldo. Yeah. So it is, it really is like. Or Geraldo, Ronaldo, not a soccer player, Geraldo. Sorry, Riviera. It yeah. takes your conception of television and just, it's very satirical. And it is essentially a Weird Al song on steroids. That's the movie. Like, it's, it's Weird Al's taste to a T. But it really, like, television has gotten demonstrably dumber over the years. 
And uh, I think he kind of got that people would love certain things like that. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the thing with this movie is that uh, it was Weird Al turned up to 11. Y- you could definitely tell that both the as the writer and the director, and of course Weird Al is the, the writer and the star, that he and his manager really took the music video format and tried to expand it a bit with the sketches and the skits and I wouldn't say that the editing suffered dramatically because of it, but the movie was by default kind of choppy in that nature. It feels disjointed um, when he fluctuates in and out of his own reality, but my favorite part's the movie when he's in his own reality and he's sort of daydreaming. Right, right. I think there's a little Walter Mitty thing going on there, right? Yeah. I think they went for like a high concept, but I don't think they really had the budget to make it happen because you could definitely tell a lot of the budget went into the dream sequences and the the rest of the movie was sort of, you felt like that stuff was kind of built around a a smaller narrative. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like it, I think it, it probably had a different concept and, I, my guess would be a studio didn't think they could sell something that was strictly sketches. So they kind of formatted a narrative around it. And the narrative is kind of forgettable ultimately. Like it has its moments, uh, which we'll talk about when we get to some of the questions. But I think the movie's comedy had an uneven tone to it. And that didn't help build a strong narrative. I think it felt so disjointed at times that it just didn't flow, which I honestly think that probably hurt with the general audience. Uh, like, for example, <clears throat> I thought Weird Al's comedy was very dark in the beginning. Like, he didn't play much of a straight man at first. He was very melodramatic and a little over the top. It, it seemed odd, even when he wasn't in his dream sequences. But then I think about midway through, and then to carry through the rest of the movie, when he became the straight man for Michael Richards, I, I think it actually helped the movie. Like when he wasn't being over the top in the in the reality sections, I think it actually the movie worked better um, than it did when he was totally slapstick and off the wall. But I, I'll get to that in a second because I do have a question about that. Um, but now that we're talking about our general impressions of the movie here, um, how many beers do you think it would require to? enjoy uhf mr wizard well uh uhf's humor is a bit dated uh like if if someone were to ask me if the dongers racist caricature was more offensive in this or in uh what is it 16 candles is it pretty yes yeah six 16 candles it would probably be this as surprising as that may sound uh i think like three beers and you can have a good time it has very funny moments it's got a lot of humor that doesn't land, but that's because I'm not 12 anymore. Like, this is a great movie for a younger audience, especially kids who probably grew up listening to Weird Al. And I'll touch more on that in a moment. Yeah, I think that's fair, Mr. Wizard. I think Three Beers is a good call on this movie because it is enjoyable at times. And there are definitely parts of it that stand out uh, and elevate it it's humor over the rest of the movie. We're like, Hey, that's actually pretty funny. And some of the parodies are pretty good. Honestly, there's a couple I love. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, it's pretty good weird owl stuff. And like you said, if you're a weird owl fan, 
you're going to like this movie. And on the note of the beers, uh, again, we're making do without Captain Cash, but the beverage of choice tonight, because some folks might throw this movie out like a bag of moldy tangerines, but we certainly won't. We've got Stone's Tangerine Express IPA, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a citrusy IPA. And again, I think it's very fitting for this movie. Cheers. We'll have a drink to that. There we go. All right. Cheers. Mm-hmm. And I suppose now we should probably do a light plot reflection. Mr. Wizard, would you be so happy to do the honors? So essentially, uh, UHF revolves around George Newman, Weird Al, and his buddy Bob Steckler, played by David Bowe. And they're kind of shiftless losers who are bouncing from job to job. And Weird Al's life is sort of dictated by his delusions of grandeur. And then his uncle, who is a gambling addict, wins this this non-studio television channel in a game of cards, Channel 62. And he doesn't want it, so he just gives it to his loser of of a nephew to run. And they then create something out of nothing and somehow find an audience basically through the magnetic presence of one Stanley Spadowski, who was really just their janitor and wandered on set one day. So they create this television channel. It's very anti what all the other television channels are doing. It becomes wildly popular, which leads into them having a spat with the head of Channel 8, who tries to buy them. Very happy Gilmore-esque. Like, I'm going to buy the studio and shut it down and burn it to the ground. and They have to raise the money to keep the studio, and so it goes. That is UHF. And throughout that, you see them developing wilder and wilder concepts, and that's really the best part of the movie. Like, less so the plot itself and the ideas that they're coming up with on the channel, which is where some of the brilliance and really the just the personality of Weird Al shine through. Yeah, that, that, that checks out. That checks out. And I think you have to be clear, this movie is not just the straightforward narrative that Mr. Wizard just described, uh, intertwined into that main arc of the TV station and Weird Al's rise to popularity and then their need to defeat the evil network that's trying to shut them down. You have a series of fantasies that are in Weird Al's head that play out much like music videos and like, you know, four to six minute little excursions into his imagination also coupled with uh bits of the television shows that they're airing including some promos and commercials and things of that nature so it's uh yeah it's it's interesting if it's i interesting. could like, provide a more uh i guess timely reference and i don't even know if this works that well but imagine uh, borat how Borat is a series of Borat sketches surrounded by a narrative of him trying to go meet and fall in love with Pamela Anderson. And within that narrative, it goes to his different sketches with the character. So he brings the hook yeah. to dinner. He meets the racist frat kids on the bus, etc. and so on. So it's kind of like that, but it's, this, it's way more over the top and silly. You know, I'll get to it later. I think this movie inspired a lot of things that came after it. Um, just, that's my personal opinion, but we'll get to that. So, um, I'll ask the big questions here, Mr. Wizard. Did this movie deserve to flop? Uh, 
I don't think it deserved to flop, and I think it, to some degree, has become sort of a cult classic. So it did find a following on video. And this is free to watch right now, by the way, on Amazon Prime. And I recommend you do watch it, because I think I'll get to the main point to watch it in a moment, which is Michael Richards, and I do want to talk more about his performance. But it's it's an interesting piece. It's And I think it's interesting to look at from the perspective that Weird Al was so immensely popular early on in his parody music career that he was given a movie to star in, which doesn't really happen now. And even though Weird Al's still making music today, like... To not like have grown up when he was at his peak and releasing his albums, it's kind of difficult to understand just how popular he was, where he had music videos on MTV all the time. Because he was he was like a big time star for a while there. Uh, so yeah. I don't think it deserved a flop. I do think it's a terrible idea to release this particular movie in the peak of summer movie season. This is not a summer movie. Okay, so you've hit on two things that I wanted to ask about. So I'll, I'll jump to this question. In your opinion, how much did that crowded summer of 89 uh, uh, release season really hurt this movie? Do you think that's what killed it, or do you think it just missed its mark? I think it, the crowded season killed it. I don't think this was ever going to be a huge hit, but I certainly think it could have made, say, $15, 20000000 million. But yeah. it appeals to a very segmented movie audience. That's Weird Al fans, like devout Weird Al fans, who are generally probably uh, lower middle school age kids. And do you think their parents are going to take them to see Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters 2 and everything else that came out and then this? Like, if the parent had a choice, they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to go see Indiana Jones. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it gets mentioned in some of the, the interviews about this movie that Weird Al wanted this to be PG, but refused to make the cuts that the folks wanted made to get it to a PG, because it was PG-13. So I, I think that might have helped, but I think you kind of hit it. This movie really wasn't competing with The Last Crusade or Batman, or Lethal Weapon 2. This movie was competing against Honey, I Shrunk the Kids yeah. and Ghostbusters 2. And I, I think you're right. There just wasn't enough money spent by kids or parents willing to spend the money on their kids to get that third movie in that summer. Yeah, Because yeah. they, were, they were seeing Batman, too. Let's be honest. A lot of kids were seeing Batman. Uh, Batman was an event. Like Yeah. I remember seeing it in theaters. I remember how crazy the fanfare for that movie was. Like It was the first big-time comic book movie in a long time. That was something that changed the game. Like Lines around the block. Everybody wanted to see Batman. And, of course, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had the power of the Disney sort of marketing machine. Yeah. No, that was a big one. So you also mentioned how strong Michael Richards' performance was. Do you think ultimately he outshined Weird Al in his own movie? I do. I think this the, Michael Richards owns this movie as Stanley Spidowski. Without him, it's a relatively weak movie. I do like some of the sketch the sketches and some of the other stuff that happens, but Weird Al is not a great actor. And you you see why Richards became a star. And if you're a huge fan of Seinfeld like I am, 
you see the seeds of Kramer sprinkled throughout Stanley Sp- Spadowski. The physical comedy especially. Yes. There is a scene, his first scene in the movie. He goes to exit a room and the door, he fumbles the door. It shuts in front of him. He gets startled. He he jumps up. He shrugs his shoulders and kind of scoots around the room. And it's, it's Kramer. Yeah, his- you, you see like two seconds of Kramer there. And as a Seinfeld, you know, fan, you recognize it like, oh, that that that's a Kramer move. You know, yeah, there's there's some uh, the the very beginnings of Kramer in this movie. The span, the Stanley Spadowski mannerisms are 100 percent Kramer. And I think I hinted at it earlier. I think the movie improves midway through when they introduce Richard's character and he becomes the comic relief and Weird Al takes a step back into that straight man role. It's understated. He doesn't do a whole lot in the narrative portions of the movie, but by handing it over to Richards, it, yeah, the movie gets better when he's, when he's the comedic focus. Yeah. And as the straight man, he has no one to play off of until Richards is the counterpoint to what he's doing. Cause his friend, uh, Bob is also the straight man. So he's yeah. sort of just like a morbidly depressed guy who daydreams about weird stuff. Yeah, but I, I think he, I think he has some good moments in that uh, Weird Al. I think some of his his reaction shots and some of that stuff it's pretty good. I mean, it, it gets better in the beginning of the movie when he's trying to be the comedic focus. Yeah. He doesn't carry that well. That's what I'm trying to say. He's better as the reaction guy as as opposed to the slapstick guy. His reactions to sort of the increasingly strange content that the the channels producing such as Raul's animal kingdom. That's where you, that's where you get the best of weird Al. Yeah. As Raul's and that's not to say dogs out the window to see if they can fly. He's teaching poodles to fly. You know, sometimes they don't get it on the first try, but again, I, I think you do make the point, Mr. Wizard, that weird Al is better in the, some of the fantasy scenes. It's weird. He's, he's better in the, 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 the music video stuff and some of that and some of the promo clips than he is trying to play this the, the regular character. The movie's kind of uneven. But, uh, all right. So, now that we're talking about Raul's Animal Kingdom, uh, what was your favorite parody scene or gag in the movie, Mr. Wizard? So, favorite parody scene or gag? I have a couple. Uh, we mentioned Raul's Animal Kingdom. I love that. It's just, it's so ridiculous. It's funny. I loved Conan the Librarian. <laughs> yes <laughs> as as big Arnold fan as listeners you know I am I couldn't get enough of that it's great uh, but the best is the when he gets sucked into the parody song for Money for Nothing that's my which favorite which is incredibly solid it is fantastic yes. and again like this is what Weird Al excels at like say what you will about Weird Al's music and maybe you like it maybe you don't I like a lot of it I, I think he's an incredibly intelligent guy that he's able to make all these really catchy songs, you know, out of existing material. And he's done it for now close to 30 years. The Money for Nothing uh, parody is awesome. And that's probably where a lot of the budget went, to be honest. The computer animation for that could not have been cheap at the time. It looks just as good as that ridiculous movie Lawnmower Man. I'll tell you that. 
Well, and it's spot on for the Dire Straits video as well. It is, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm sure they got the same people. I, I didn't research this because I've always assumed, even back then in, in the 80s, I just assumed what's the, they had the same people do this. Clearly, it looks identical. Okay, so this movie does have a lot of very memorable jokes and gags in it. Um, it, it it's, it's, again, it's not all solid. It, it doesn't flow all that well at times. But, man, there are individual points that are just, pretty freaking funny um come on who doesn't love the spatula city commercial come on that's great it, it, it's even got the plug about the i think it was remington the, the shavers like i like the shaver so much i bought the company like younger kids don't get that joke um raul's animal kingdom was just so absurd it was great <laughs> and probably my favorite sight gag in the movie is when uh uh, you know, the studio or the, uh, <clears throat> the network boss tells one of his henchmen to take that ridiculous thing off. And he's wearing a cowboy hat with a, a raccoon tail hanging off the back. And he turns over his shoulder and instead of taking the hat off, he peels off his mustache <laughs> and he right. remains yeah. mustacheless for the rest of the movie. That's the best part of that gag. It affects the rest of the movie. The, the, the mustache does not reappear. He peels it off and it's off the rest of the movie. But, uh, my vote, hands down, though, is the Gandhi 2 trailer. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it's so awful, it's good. And um, you can't do it again today, or you could not do that again today, because um, I'm pretty sure it features some blackface, or at least brownface. It's definitely and, brownface, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that would fly. Um, but I'll give it a pass, because it was still technically the 80s. But it's so awful and offensive. It's funny. It is pretty funny. I mean, when he just yeah. like rolls up in the sports car and just starts mowing people down. Yeah, and and fun fact, he also bashes one of the bad guys' heads into the to the roof of his Ferrari. He hit the Gandhi. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you who Gandhi was in a second. Uh, he banged the stuntman's head so hard against the roof that it dented it. And they actually panicked because they weren't sure if their insurance was going to cover damage to the car. Luckily, it did. And they didn't have to pay out of pocket for the dented Ferrari. Um, but I'll say this. I, I, I mentioned earlier that this movie, I think, inspired a lot of stuff that's come after it. Uh, one of the things I think, and you talked about the, the comedic format of the movie, I really think that it's more not so much like Borat, but it's more like the non sequitur humor and flashback centric humor you see in like family guy and, and the parodies you see in that. So for example, I think they did a joke about the passion of the Christ too. I think that's a straight rip off of Gandhi too, because it's basically the same thing, you know, re-envisioning Jesus as like, you know, uh, an action hero. And that's exactly what they did with the Gandhi two thing. So yeah, Yeah. that's, that's what I, when I see this, I'm like, that's where that, that's where, Seth MacFarlane got that idea from. It came from UHF. Because uh, I think, it, again, I think this is a movie that comedians like. I don't think it fits into a general audience. I think there's there's a, a, a true, like, comedic element to a lot of the stuff that just doesn't work together, but individually, the skits and whatnot, you know, they were pretty solid. As a sketch show, I think it would have been more successful than an actual movie, which is, oddly enough, what Weird Al did next. His next non-music video uh, video project. He did the Weird Al show. So, yeah. Anyway, so this leads me into some of my interesting facts here, Mr. Wizard. Um, during the uh, scene with Bobo the Clown, 
played by Weird Al's buddy Bob. Um, Who I swore was actually a homeless guy. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not, not Bozo the Clown. Bobo the Clown. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. He, he meets Mr. Frying Pan. Yes, yeah. That, that, scene, that scene got one take. The frying pan actually connected, splitting uh, uh, David uh, Bo's lip, and that's the the take they kept. So his shock and unhappiness with Weird Al in that scene is real because he got popped in the face with the frying pan. <laughs> That'd be pretty um, Yeah. Uh, for the scene where his Uncle Harvey is taking uh, Big Louie's call in the pool, Weird Al actually wanted to use the song Kung Fu Fighting but could not get the rights. So he ended up recording the original Let Me Be Your Hog, which was used for the scene. As you mentioned, Michael Richards was excellent, Stanley Spadowski, and that role was actually written for him. They had him in mind the whole time, and their vision of the character was somewhat inspired by Christopher Lloyd's work on Taxi. And Weird Al even considered reaching out to Lloyd at one point, but they said, nah, we're going to stick with Richards. He was our first pick. I mean, I think... Christopher Lloyd could have pulled it off, but uh, it'd be tough to not to imagine somebody else in this role after you've seen Michael Richards. Yeah, I have do a it. Hard, I have a hard time seeing it. I'll be honest, I, I I can't really see Christopher Lloyd do this, but I'm sure he would have had a different take on it. It might have been, you know, but yeah. Anyway, so I mentioned the Spatula City commercial. They actually rented a billboard for Spatula City for filming some of the exterior shots, and because no one leased the billboard after uh, the movie, it actually stayed up for several months because they didn't bother taking it down until somebody else leased it. I have a feeling many people tried to find Spatula City. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's probably fair. And I guess a lot of fans of the movie like were pretty excited when they saw that it was still up, like well after the filming. Okay, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. There was some definite brown face. And the Gandhi 2 skit, uh, because Gandhi was played by the director of the movie, uh, Jay Levy. See, I was curious about who that was. Yeah, that was the director. Probably not his proudest moment. Um, <laughs> Dr. Demento, the radio DJ that discovered Weird Al, or made Weird well, I wouldn't say he discovered him, but he brought Weird Al's music to a broader audience because Weird Al used to send in his polkas and some of his parody tapes to this Dr. Demento show. And Dr. Demento would air it on the radio and people would would hear it. And that's kind of how Weird Al got his start. He actually appears in the movie. And specifically, uh, in one of the uh, uh, Stanley Spadowski's clubhouse promos, he is the man you see uh, Stanley spraying whipped cream into his mouth. That is Dr. Demento. All right, Dr. Demento. Yeah, he makes an appearance. And then, you know, this movie being a cult hit was actually hard to get on home media. It wasn't released on DVD until 2002 uh, because of the bankruptcy that uh, Orion went through. This was stuck in, like, you know, legal limbo for a while. Yeah. But there is a 25th anniversary edition uh, DVD and Blu-ray that was released in 2014. And then we've mentioned... Uh, Raul's Animal Kingdom. Well, on a more serious note, Trinidad Sylvia, who played Raul, uh, died in a car wreck following filming his first scenes for the movie. And he was actually uh, intended to be at the uh, telethon at the end of the movie, but 
the production crew and Weird Al, they couldn't bear to try to film anything with a body double or anything like that. So they just wrote him out at the end of the movie. And the film was actually dedicated to Trinidad, Sylvia. That sucks. Yeah, it's kind of... When I read that, I was like, wow, that's kind of a bummer. Way to bring the pod down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and again, to keep it on a serious note, uh, Weird Al was not very happy that this movie failed. I think he was very proud of it. He thought that they really put the raw into it, and this was going to be his big you know, entrance into cinema and comedy, but it didn't happen, and he was kind of left at a loss. He just couldn't understand why this wasn't more popular. So it put him into a creative slump that lasted for about three years. It actually delayed the completion of his next studio album, And that didn't really turn around until uh, late 1991 when Nirvana hit it big with Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that inspired him to write Smells Like Nirvana and gave him the push to complete his album, Off the Deep End, which the cover of that album pays homage to uh, Nirvana's Nevermind. It's Weird Al naked in a bathtub, or excuse me, naked in a swimming pool, much like the baby on the cover of Nevermind. So that's kind of weird. Like this movie, you know, Kind of took the wind out of his sails. Well, I can understand that. Like, I can understand being disappointed that this movie flopped. But it's to me, it's a lot like his music. Like, it's meant to be watched over and over again on home media. It's just not a movie that you really need to see in a theater because it doesn't lend itself to a big screen particularly there's nothing large scale about it even the skits even though they're about larger scale movies they're like small and ridiculous and that's kind of the point but like when you listen when you bought a weird al album you'd play it over and over and over again like as a 12 year old kid if you buy uhf on vhs you're like you're watching it every day yeah i think you hit on something there mr wizard his lyrics tend to be pretty dense his parody lyrics are pretty dense. You listen to it line by line. There's lots of jokes and puns, and you, you don't always catch it on the first viewing. And I think this movie, that the comedy and the and the the complexity of all the different skits and stuff like that, like there is, it's something you need to watch over and over again. But it's not grand. You don't need to see it on the big screen. You don't need to have it in surround sound. But uh, and and I will add, uh, this might be my favorite line of the movie. Lesbian Nazi hookers abducted by UFOs and forced into weight loss programs. See, that's the kind of stuff in this movie that's like, it's a throwaway line, but that's pretty freaking funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't need any context. It's just kind of a one-off. But he throws in there at the end of one of his, uh, doing his... uh, His fake... uh, uh, Geraldo. Yeah, Yeah, his fake Geraldo thing. It's like, okay, that's that's funny. That's good. That's that's a good zinger. I just wanted to say that out loud. Um, Anyway... Well, this brings us to probably my favorite segment of the pod, Wheel of Fish Trivia. The Wheel of Fish is also a brilliant sketch. (laughs) Fun fact, those were real fish, and they smelled terrible because the soundstage that the Wheel of Fish scene was filmed on was not air-conditioned. And that fish got very ripe by the time they started filming in the afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't yeah. take too many takes then because that's a lot of Oof. warm fish. And they were big fish, folks. They were Check huge. it out. Yeah. So, Mr. Wizard, are you ready to play Wheel of Fish? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. I'm taking the fish, though. I'm not taking what's in the box. 
I want the fish if I win. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. All right. First question. During the Twinkie Dog sandwich scene, how many Twinkie Dog sandwiches did Weird Al eat before they were finished filming? Mm, 25. Okay. I'll make it multiple choice for you. Four. Okay. I was a little high. <laughs> 12. Seven or one? 12. The answer is seven. Oh. Seven Twinkie Dog sandwiches. I would have went for all 12. I'd like to also point out that Weird Al became a vegetarian at some point after this. I'm not saying they're related, but they could be. And for those of you who have not seen UHF, a Twinkie Dog sandwich is a Twinkie split across the top through the center with a hot dog inserted, just like a top split hot dog bun, covered in cheese Whiz, the kind from a spray can. You know what? Having heard that description again, I think 12 is too much for any mortal man to to endure yeah that's not not good i still seven sounds insane to me so question two again this will be multiple choice which of these actresses and it can be more than one were considered for the role of terry weird al's love interest a jennifer tilly b joey lord and adams c kimmy robertson that was the dispatcher from twin peaks D, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, or E, Ellen DeGeneres. So it could be more than one of them. Yes. One or more. <sighs> I can repeat that if need be. I'm going to go with the Seinfeld connection. Uh, so Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Jennifer Tilly. Okay, you were half right. It was, in fact, Jennifer Tilly and Ellen DeGeneres. See, that surprises me. I thought the dispatcher from Twin Peaks would be likely, but I would not have pegged Ellen. Yes, because I get uh, Kimmy confused with, uh, what's her face? Yeah. Victoria Jackson. With the I, I, uh, chick from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Victoria Jackson. Yeah, I get those two confused. I thought they were the same person, They honestly. have very similar uh, voices. Yes. They yeah. also look a little bit alike, too. So. They do. They do. They do. I just hope Kimmy's not a crazy right-wing nut job. Okay, Um, moving on. (laughs) I I doubt it. She's on Twin Peaks. Yeah. Okay, Um, here's a fun one. So we've kind of ignored this character up to this point, so I'll just quick aside here. Um, You've got Philo. You've got the weird guy that works at the TV station. He's like the tech guy slash scientist oddball dude. Yeah, he has like his little laboratory where he actually has like scientific equipment for some reason, inexplicably. Yeah. Not really, really crucial to the story. He ends up being an alien in the end. Spoiler. Um, not that that really matters, but very repo man though. Uh, uh in the way he zips off to his home planet. <laughs> very much. Right, my yeah. pe- my people, my people need me. He glows and flies off it. So Philo. Okay. Um, wh- which of these actors were offered the role of Philo? And, of course, ultimately turned it down. A, Crispin Glover. B, Randy Quaid. C, Christopher Lloyd. D, William Defoe, Or E, Jim Carrey. Ooh, so it could be multiple ones again. No, this will be a single. Oh, I'm going Crispin Glover, 100%. You are correct. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he'd be perfect for that role. 
He was offered the role and refused it because he only wanted to play the used car salesman that threatens to club a baby seal if you don't buy a car. <laughs> I, that's the most Crispin Glover thing I have ever heard. It really is, yeah. Crispin Glover, who, uh, if you don't know who he is, uh, he's Marty McFly's dad in Back to the Future. Yeah. And... Uh, he once went on David Letterman on acid. <laughs> and, it's, and it's fantastic. YouTube that right now. Yeah. He tries to kung fu kick David Letterman in the head. It's impressive. Okay. <laughs> I will share that to our social. Absolutely. So, um, question number four. What was the title used for UHF's international release? A, Weird Al's Playhouse. B, U62, which is the... UHF station that Weird Al runs in the movie. Colon, the reason television was invented. C, the vidiot. D, UHF colon, U62 versus Channel 8. Or E, the vidiot from UHF. Well, I'm really hoping it involves the word vidiot. So I'm going to say the vidiot from UHF. We have a winner, folks. That is correct. Would you like your fish or what's in the box? Oh, now, you know, I turned down the box early. I said I wouldn't take it. I want the box now. Okay. Well, in the box is nothing. You're so stupid. So stupid. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, Weird Al preferred the title The Vidiot for the domestic release. When that was turned down, he proposed they use it for the international release, but the studio said, no, we're going to stick with UHF, and for the international release, the idiot, or excuse me, the vidiot from UHF. All Interesting. Right. Okay, number five. Which cast member has the most Emmy wins of any variety? Michael Richards, David Bowe, Anthony Geary, who plays Philo, or John Paragon? who plays R.J. Jr. And Ooh. for those who didn't get the joke during the earlier part of the, uh, the, the pod, he's also the genie from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, that's tough. So again, you've got A, Michael Richards, D, sorry, B, David Bowe, C, Anthony Geary, D, John Paragon. That's tough because I imagine Pee-wee's Playhouse won some daytime Emmys. Yes, and these are... Emmys of any variety. Hey, John B. I'm still going Kramer. I got to go Michael Richards. I think he's got a couple, but uh, Anthony Geary has eight, eight daytime Emmys from his time on General Hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. In fact, they almost didn't give him the role because they thought he was too much of a serious actor. Oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't wasn't James Franco on General Hospital as a serial killer? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Are we sure he's not actually a serial killer? I mean, that dude might have some skin suits. I'm just saying. He's got some eccentric things about him, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, number six. This is kind of a throwaway. But what does UHF stand for? Is it ultra hi-fi? Close. Ultra high frequency. And then the last question on 
this fantastic edition of Wheel of Fish Trivia. Number seven, which parodied celebrity agreed to make a cameo in the film, but ultimately had to drop out? A, Geraldo Riviera. Not, not Riviera, Rivera. Why do I keep saying Riviera? It's not him. French. Call him whatever you want. This guy's a whack job. But I keep saying, uh, I, I, you know what? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm confusing my his, language his here. His new name is Riviera. Yeah. It's what happens when uh, you lose Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> See, that's the worst part. I know this. I don't, it's like, why can't I get this right? Uh, that's painful. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> A, uh, Geraldo Rivera. B, Pat Sajak. C, Sly Stallone. D, Harrison Ford, because we haven't mentioned it up to this point, oh, but there was yeah. a big Indiana Jones parody that opened the movie. Uh, comes came yeah. out the same summer as the what was the final indie adventure. Yeah, and you already mentioned Conan the Librarian, so we've got E, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, just to repeat for you, Mr. Wizard, we have A, Geraldo Rivera, B, Pat Sajak, C, Sly Stallone, D, Harrison Ford, and E, Arnold. Well, I hope it is E, so that's my guess. Final answer? I think Arnold is always pretty good-humored. This is 89, Arnold. Yeah, that's true. It is 89, Arnold. He he hasn't mellowed yet. It's probably Geraldo, because in 89 he was still somewhat normal before he became a total propaganda shill. Well, I would like you to know that it was actually C, Sly Stallone. Wow. He was going to appear in the Rambo parody, but had to back out due to scheduling conflicts. That would have been awesome. Especially if they both did the face. Yes. He was going to be one of the helicopter pilots, apparently. Um, So, fun fact. The bodybuilder actor that does the uh, Conan, the librarian skit. Uh Uh-huh actually did some stunt work on a couple of Arnold movies, including uh, Commando. What's do you know his name? I do not off the top of my head. Um, I got to tell but you, yeah. there is a lot of stunt work in Commando. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, well, what? obviously, I think, he, I, think he was a, I think he was probably a stunt double for Arnold, frankly. Yeah, probably. Uh, I love Commando. I think it's one of the great action movies ever. Heavy stunt doubles in that movie. Heavy. I believe he also has a uh, a named role, like so non stunt work in uh, Red Heat. Okay. Um, so we'll have to look that up uh, uh, after the fact here. But yeah, I believe he's actually one of the Russian thugs in Red Heat. Probably one of the guys he beats up in that opening scene. Yeah. Any any final thoughts on UHF, Mister Wizard? All right, so, I mean, we've said it's a fairly good time. I think, you know, if if you're not familiar with Weird Al at all, listen to some of his music, then watch the movie, and you'll kind of, you'll see his personality shine through in, in the way this movie is formatted and written and all that stuff. And if you love Seinfeld and you didn't, like, really know who Michael Richards was prior to him becoming Kramer and... I mean, Kramer's a legendary character. He's really the heartbeat of Seinfeld. I mean, I love every character on Seinfeld, but without Kramer, the show is is not the same. 
and it, it's it's funny to see like there's so much of what would become Cosmo Kramer in Stanley Spadowski. He's more like he's less of an over the top sort of caricature of a human, like Stanley. Uh, but just all the physical stuff is there. Yeah, yeah. The, the the spastic motions and yeah, so, some of the uh, the cadence to the way he delivers his lines. I will say it's a good thing that. Michael Richards got some dental work done um, between this and later in his career because whatever he had going on, I don't know if that was uh, dentures or what, but he's got a weird overbite in this movie. But oh, uh, yeah, maybe it was maybe it was like you know fake teeth. I don't know. I don't. It, it was strange. It doesn't look like him in Seinfeld. It reminded me of uh, what's the uh, the character from Tropic Thumber, uh, Thunder Thunder uh, Thumber Tropic Thunder uh, Simple Jack. It's oh, like geez. the bad the bad buck teeth. It, it's it's weird. It's distracting at times. Some of the close up shots. Um, but I mentioned earlier that I thought this movie inspired stuff like the the some of the non sequitur flashback type humor you see in Family Guy. I, I also see especially in the opening scenes with Weird Al and uh his buddy Bob working the dead end jobs and getting fired and all that. Um I, I got a little bit of a Beavis and Butthead vibe from them. Like, you know, kind of being like lovable idiots. Like I kind of felt like, you know, that's I, I can see that kind of feeding into that type of Beavis and Butthead type characters. Yeah, I, again, I feel like this is like a comedian's movie. Like, I don't think it found its general audience, but I think, like you said, it became a cult hit. I think a lot of people that have an off sense of humor really like this movie. Like, for example, our buddy Garrett in college loved it. And, and he liked weird stuff. And he was like, dude, UHF is great. You know, it, it had an audience. There's, it's kind of those things you, either you get it or you don't. And the the Family Guy comparison is really on point because just the parody of of songs they do in Family Guy, uh, Can't Touch Me, when he's got diplomatic immunity because he formed his own sovereign state, or the parody of the Oompa Loompa song from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's like straight out of the Weird Al playbook. Like That's what, what Weird Al was doing far before Family Guy was a thing. Well, and I'll even I'll even throw in there that I think uh, Anchorman took some stuff from this movie. Like I, I feel like you don't get quite the same humor in Anchorman, granted, but I, I feel like you know you can't tell me that Judd Apatow didn't didn't watch UHF, and there's not a little bit of that in Anchorman. I can see that. you got because you got the you got the TV angle, you got the goons in suits, like that that joke about the take that ridiculous thing off, he peels off the mustache. That joke would have worked in Anchorman. I could see Brian Fantana doing that. I can see Paul Rudd pulling that joke off. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think there's parts of this that other people have said, "Hey, that's good." I'm gonna, I, I get this humor, but uh, anyway, well, again, I can't help. Uh, but but think this would have been better with Captain Cash. <sighs> Hopefully he recovers from his lupus. Um, well, Godspeed, <laughs> Captain Cash. But uh, I'm sure he'll be back next week because what what's next week's pod? Uh, next week is Cutthroat Island, which is a legendarily bad pirate movie. 
Directed Yarr. by Rennie Harlan, starring Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. It's one of the biggest flops of all time. And as we briefly mentioned, it probably killed Rennie Harlan's career and certainly hurt Gina Davis's and Matthew Modine's for years afterwards. Severely it, wounded their careers. It is a steaming pile. It is something. Woof. All right. And who will be the guest host for that pod? Yeah, uh, Captain Cashwell, guest host, as he chose Cutthroat Island. We're going to try to do that moving forward as we, we're each going to choose a movie uh, every month. And uh, next week we'll announce what the upcoming movies are. We'll just say this. It is going to be Bad Action Sequels Month. And there are some really, really bad action sequels out there. And sadly, folks, there will not be a sequel to UHF. Weird Al has basically said that, you know what, this movie didn't do so great. There's a reason for that, and uh, we're not going back. Here's what I would say. I don't think a movie is really a great format for this. I think a 30-minute, an episode Netflix show would be a tremendous format for UHF. And the episodes, in fact, could just be two different zany shows that are featured on the channel with very little of the actual narrative woven in. And I think it would be awesome. Yeah. Hey, I I would personally love to see a Netflix reboot of Cannibalism today. Uh, So before we close out, you want to do a couple of quick Weird Al-centric recommendations? Absolutely. I think that's totally fitting for this week's pod. Um, Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier. To truly appreciate this movie, I think it's important to familiarize yourself with some Weird Al's work. And some of his music videos from the 80s and early 90s are just classic. And I'll go with, I'll take the easy route here, and I'll go with his Michael Jackson parodies. Um, These were two of his first biggest hits, I think, on MTV. You've got uh, Fat and Eat It, uh, which are parodies of Bad and Beat It. And they are fantastic. They were every bit as impressive as Michael Jackson videos or or the original videos, but obviously with a more comedic tone. Um, And this was must see TV back in the day. Like it was a big deal when this came on. Like you would say, oh man, it's the Weird Al videos. You'd watch that. It's a big deal. It's right up there with Thriller. Yep. I mean, it was, it was, it was culturally significant at that time. I had many Weird Al cassettes and I don't regret buying any of them. Well, I technically didn't buy them, but I don't regret I don't regret asking for any of them. I loved it. <laughs> it was it was a fun time. I'm gonna recommend a more recent Weird Al song, and it's called Word Crimes, where he goes off about simple grammar mistakes that people make every day. And it's it's just it goes back to sort of the brilliance of Weird Al. Like it's a fantastic song. And I'll post the videos for that and for the Michael Jackson parodies to the social. Because this guy this guy has a lot of talent. He does. Word Crimes is a very smart song. I would like to point out, I believe the video for Word Crimes does contain a UHF reference. Uh, I think it does, yeah. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I think on one of the pieces, one of the tests that, or or something he's taking, he puts the name George Newman on it, which is the character he plays in UHF. And, uh, you know, Weird Al is actually known to be quite a nice human being. A lot of people talk about the Holy Trinity of Steve Irwin, Mr. Rogers, 
and Bob Ross. I really think Weird Al should be in that conversation as well. I don't think anyone has ever said a bad thing about Weird Al his entire career. I mean, the man is is known to not swear. He doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs. Um, he's been he's been married to the same woman for a very long time. He's known to be a family man and just a good human being. So I think in that holy trinity of celebrities, Weird Al needs to be in that conversation. Well, he mean, should be right up there. If that doesn't sell you on watching the movie, I don't know what will. So why don't you uh, close us out with a little wise advice from Stanley Spadowski. This is my new mop. George, my friend, he gave me this mop. It's a pretty good mop. It's not as good as my first mop. I miss my first mop. But this is still a good mop. Sometimes you just have to take what life gives you. Because life is like a mop. And sometimes life gets full of dirt and crud, bugs, hairballs and stuff. And you, you've got to clean it out. You've got to put it in here and you've got to rinse it off and start all over again. And, and sometimes, sometimes life sticks to the floor so bad, you know, a mop, a mop, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You've got to get down there, like with a toothbrush, you know, you gotta, you gotta really scrub. You gotta get it off. You gotta really try to get it off. And if that doesn't work, well, if that doesn't work, you can't give up. You've got to stand up. You gotta run to the window and say, hey, this floor is dirty as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Thank you, folks, and take care. A little bit of network, a little bit of inspiration for Forrest Gump in there. I think so. Yep. <laughs>